we really need to break down fear and to break boundaries and break barriers and to immerse ourselves and to really smell, taste, converse, you know, and try to understand how other people live their lives and find out that we do have a lot in common as well. This is Before It's Too Late. I'm your host, Christian Susan. Let's learn together what matters most in life. It makes me very happy to speak with Catherine Spellman today, who's a professor for the study of Muslim civilizations at both Columbia University and Aga Khan University. Catherine is sharing with us many interesting insights around the Muslim cultures. Her research and teaching is about getting a greater understanding to areas that are largely unknown about the Muslim cultures and all their various forms, including misconceptions. I think we really need to break down fear, break down barriers and boundaries. We have to try to understand how other people live their lives and find out what we have in common as well, she states. Catherine shares with us how vital teaching is to her and, by doing so, how she gives her students the power to break out of their silos. Also, Catherine is talking about my favorite topic, the importance of grieving and crying. Remembering the past and thinking about death is something that is very much embedded in the fabric of the Muslim communities And this is why we can learn so much from them when it comes down to death and grief, she says. In this episode, she shares her fascinating experience when she participated in a grieving ritual session held by Muslim women. Her role was it to pass around the Kleenex box. Last but not least, we will hear from her about a transformational moment in her life when her parents told her after high school, Just leave the country and fly. Well, that's exactly what she did and what planted the seed to her outstanding career. I love what Catherine wants her legacy to be. To communicate as much as possible with people from different worlds, with very different socioeconomic backgrounds. Because only then we can begin to understand and find solutions to all the many problems the world has right now. It's wonderful to have you as our guest today on Before It's Too Late, Catherine Spellman. Hello, Catherine. Welcome to Before It's Too Late. Hello, Christiane. It's so great to be with you. Thank you. Me too. I'm so happy to have you as my guest today. Catherine, you grew up in the countryside in Iowa. Where is your interest in the Middle East coming from? <laughs> that is a good question. I did grow up in Iowa. I grew up in the countryside surrounded by corn and beans and cattle. And it was really a very beautiful, but very distant from the Middle East. It was very monocultural. And so many people have asked me this question. And I guess it's a hard one to answer. But the best way, I would say, is that a seed was planted when I was in Iowa. And It's just continued to grow and be nurtured by the people that I've met, my studies, and the relationships I've had throughout my life. The seed that was planted, really, I have to give great credit to my great-grandmother, who was 
a school teacher and she was rather eccentric mm-hmm. and, and an intellect. And I remember going into her home and seeing piles of newspapers and maps and globes and her house was, it was a bit of a, I guess, organized chaos, which was highly unusual, you know, in comparison mm. to, to other people's homes. Yes. And, and she didn't care. What she did was instill education and the importance of education for her family. And all of her, her children became either scientists or academics or lawyers or doctors. And they all still had very much a love for the land from a farming background. And my grandfather, he and my grandmother, who had eight children, he was so curious about the world, my grandfather in particular. And the minute that they could travel on the jumbo jet and they were able to do so, they started to travel around the world. And they'd come back to Iowa and sit, we'd sit around the table and he would tell me wonderful stories. He was a great storyteller. And my grandmother would bring back all sorts of cultural artifacts and souvenirs. And I remember a story that they told me about, which was, it's a beautiful love story that was written. It's hard to know. It was an Arab story that was then written by an author named Vasim Nizami. And it's a gorgeous love story about two people, Leila and Majnun. And I remember hearing the story and thinking, I can't believe that such a story with such great passion and tenderness and love and tragedy was written 500 years before Shakespeare wrote Romeo and Juliet. Wow. And this has always captured me and really inspired me to want to know about the world that we live in and all the different stories and what we can learn from them and how there's so many commonalities and differences in the world. And I think that was the seed that was really important in in me wanting to learn about that region. Yeah, so that was the start. Oh, Oh, Catherine, I love the image of the seed that was planted inside you from your grandparents and your family. That's just great. Thank you for sharing Mm -hmm. also this love story. Today, you are a professor at both Aga Khan University and Columbia University. And you are currently serving as academic program director of the Middle East Institute at Columbia. Amongst all your research fields that include Muslims in Europe and North America, as well as the Iranian diaspora and gender studies, what topic are you most excited about at the moment? Oh, that's a tough question. I'm working on several projects right now that I'm really excited about. Yeah, they're um, all so interesting. <laughs> I know. We would need hours, actually. But because I, I told you the story about my grandparents and my upbringing in the cornfields of Iowa, I want to share with you a project that is going to be a long-term project, but I have started it. Believe it or not, about five years ago or six years ago, my dad called me and said, There's an imam who is interested in buying a chunk of of our cornfield to build a mosque. And this is a mile away from the home I grew up in, in the countryside of Iowa. So I could not believe this. And I said, that would be wonderful. And my dad said, we think so too. So they sold uh, 30 acres of land 
to the Muslim communities. It's a very diverse group of Muslims. And they have built this amazing mosque and minarets, and they have a, a cemetery for the community. And they have a soccer pitch, a, you know, a football pitch for the community to play sports. And they have wonderful colonies of bees, and they're producing local honey for the community. And I've been following the building of the mosque and the evolution of this mosque and, and, and the communities. And what I plan to do is to not only get to know the Bosnian community, which is really at the forefront of building this mosque, but also the communities who come from, from Lebanon, Syria, Palestine, Iran, Iraq, as well as many countries in Africa who are all coming to this mosque in the cornfields of Iowa, which I just think is extraordinary. And I, I hope to do a project that looks, not do my ethnographic research, not only getting to know these communities and their experiences living in the Midwest of America, but also talking to the local community that I grew up with, that are more of the dominant culture in that area, and to hear about their perceptions about this new addition to the landscape in Iowa. Oh my God, what a fantastic, powerful project. Yes. Congratulations <laughs> on this. Yeah. That's oh. amazing. So yeah. uh, when will that be done? When can we come oh. and visit? Oh, that's, that is a, oh, well, the must be done, the, or, or my book. Yeah, I have no idea. The book. <laughs> the book, oh, goodness. I, but, like I said, I'm juggling projects right now, but I've started to interview people and I've spent time at the mosque. I've given lectures there, so they've getting to know me. And I hope it will be, I don't know, I'm not going to say the B word, which is, means a book. I don't know if it's going to be an article or a book, or I don't know which way this project will manifest. But I think it's an important story to tell. Oh, very much so. How would you describe the overarching goal of this project? What would you like to achieve with it? I think that... In this country, there's a lot of stereotypical ideas, both about Islam and Muslims, as well as the Midwest of America. And I just want to show how diverse both the Muslim world is and Muslim communities, also the Midwest, and really show some nuance and to get into the fabric and how they're being interwoven in that particular context. And just to give some greater insight and understanding to areas that are largely unknown or, and there's also a lot of misconceptions as well. Mm, yeah, yeah. I think that is so powerful because you create a space for a better mutual understanding. And I think that's a very, very powerful way to foster a more peaceful way how we live together. So that's absolutely amazing, Catherine. We can learn so much from you. I've seen Hello. you teaching. You are such a great teacher. Tell us more about Oh yeah, what is tell us more about what is most important to you regarding your teachings. And also tell us about your students. Where are they coming from and how many are they and yeah. Oh. Give us Wonderful. some insights. Yeah. Hmm. So teaching, I think, is such, it's vital. It's being an educator. I take it, I think I'm so privileged to be an educator. And I take that role very seriously. 
And I would say that what is most important for me, for you know, to, of what I can help foster my students and to help, what gift I can give my students is the power to break out of their silos. And I think this is a lesson not only for my students, but for my children, for myself, for everyone, is we tend to live in bubbles. And I think it's really important to sometimes pop our bubbles and to get out of our zones of comfort. And I do this in my teaching and I feel very strongly about it. For example, a course that I taught for years when I was in London was called Multicultural London. And I love this course because I had written, you know, within, I embedded in the course many visits to places where the students would normally never go. So I would take students to neighborhoods that they haven't seen or haven't been to. Um, so I think not only should students have this intellectual travels through books and through the classroom, but also embodied experiences. And to go into neighborhoods, to go into mosques, to go into Sikh gurdwaras, to go into synagogues, to go in places and to meet people and converse and have conversations. It's not, and to talk about difficult topics of difference as well, and try to understand the perspectives and the history of different rituals and different ways of living. I think conversations are very important. And I think we really need to break down fear and to break boundaries and break barriers and to immerse ourselves and to really smell, taste, converse, you know, and try to understand how other people live their lives and find out that we do have a lot in common as well. Catherine, that is so important what you're saying and doing and now more than ever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You recently told me about your witnessing a grieving ritual amongst Shia women's community. Would you share this with us? Yes, part of my research that I did for my PhD and for my first book, I was interested in how women who left Iran because of the revolution, how they would come together in social gatherings and to work out how they're going to live their lives in the UK. And one of the many ways that I found women doing this in very creative and important ways was through a ritual called sofre. And in this gathering, which some Iranian women partake in, it's something that goes back historically in Iran, even back to Zoroastrian times, but it's become a gathering that women often have in their homes where they come together around a sofre, which means it's like a tablecloth. You serve food, you pray, you recite the Quran. There's lots of different ways to do it depending on how you practice your faith, okay? But it's generally speaking, it's a ritual where you, women come together and most importantly, you make a vow, you make a wish, they call it a nas. And you make a, a wish or vow saying, for example, if my son passes his exam, I will send money to a shrine, or I will host the next sofre, or you make a deal. And it's mm -hmm. usually something that's very personal. And so this is one way that women would come together. And at these sofres is also an opportunity for women to express th their feelings and emotions. And it depends on the sofre, because some sofres are joyful, but others are more mournful. It depends mm -hmm. on, on the calendar, on the religious calendar, and the particular form of day of the sofre. And I learned so much from these women. 
absolutely so much yeah. about about the importance of grieving, of mourning. And I don't think that we do this enough in at least in my in my small bubble. I, I think we should really think and mourn and talk about about death more and our loved ones that we've lost and to express it deeply and to feel it more and embody it. And I find that that's something I've learned so much from these women when they come together and cry together. And it was always my job to pass around the Kleenex box because I was such an outsider. But I, you know, I found a way to, I played my role. I built up trust with these women and I'm so grateful to them for letting me take part in this, such a beautiful, these beautiful rituals. And I learned so much about the importance of grieving and to, of crying and to cleanse and to think about death every day because that way we'll live our life better, I think. Catherine, I cannot thank you enough for sharing all that with us and for saying what you just said because, as you know, that's exactly my topic as an end-of-life caretaker and grieving counselor. Mm. It is so true what you say, especially now after COVID, yeah. that we find ourselves in Western societies lost in the grieving process, right? So we don't know how to grieve. We never really learned it in modern society. And I think it's so important to revive this lost art of grieving because, as you said, it is a very, very powerful process that cleanses. And yes, it is exhausting. But afterwards, you come out with so much more perspective and a higher level of consciousness and also meaning. This is why I cannot thank you enough to share this What do you think we could do to learn more from those cultures who are still doing these rituals on a regular basis, like these Muslim women you were telling us about? Do you think yes. there's a way how we could build bridges and open that space to also our modern societies that are so death and grief Averse. Yes, yes. I really think that it's important for us to reflect on how we philosophize and think about progress. I think that we can learn so much from other cultures when it comes to death and mourning processes. And I gave one small example of the sofra gatherings that mainly Iranian women attend. But if you look wider at Islamic cultures and Buddhist and, and Hindu and so many other traditions, the importance of remembering and thinking about the past and thinking about death is very much embedded into the fabric of their customs and their cultures. And I think we can learn a lot from other cultures about this and to think about some of the the ideas that are very prominent in Western thinking about progress, about always looking forward, being successful, never looking backwards. You know, I heard yesterday on, on the radio when Mark Zuckerberg was being talked about and his policies, they mentioned that one of the policies is to never apologize and to never look back. Hmm. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is really problematic. <laughs> hmm. we, we, hmm. we really, we all need to apologize and we all need to look back 
and, oh, yes. and, and, and to learn. So I think there's a lot that ties into that of not wanting to think about progress, but success, but not about death, because that's not deemed as successful. That's like the end in our way of thinking, but no, but to think about death and to think, well, okay, so how am I going to live this day to the fullest? You know, because we know that that's inevitable. So how can we think about death and use it in a positive way to make us live better lives and to think about the people that we left behind and what we can learn from them and mark them and, and to remember as well. So spot on what you say, Catherine. We cannot promote that often enough. So thank you so much for that input, Catherine. So oh, true. Thank you. So true. Before It's Too Late is also about my guests personally, since they are all role models for leading a meaningful life. Tell us about a moment in your life, Catherine, that has been transformational for you. Right. Oh, this is such a good question. I have to say that it was when I was 19 and I was at university at a Jesuit university in the Midwest, the same university that my older brother and sister were attending. And I'm one of seven children from a very close knit family, but I felt sort of suffocated by the environment at the university because it seems very similar to high school. And I just felt like I needed more. And I, felt trapped. I was really unhappy. It was not a good period of my life. And I remember talking to my parents, who I'm so impressed by every day, who said, instead of taking me and sheltering me and molly cuddling me because I was not well, instead they said, why don't you go and study somewhere else in the world? <laughs> why don't you, oh, um, great. Yeah, why don't you, why don't you, you know, they just let me fly. And, and luckily, my parents would take my brothers and sisters somewhere in the world from July 15th to August 15th every year we would travel somewhere and live locally somewhere so they were I have amazing parents when I was at my worst they said why don't you go study somewhere go start somewhere you know new. just go for a semester and make sure that your credits can transfer back you know and I remember getting on the airplane leaving and I went to London I got into a program last minute and thinking this is going to be a new chapter of my life And I knew I was going to make the very best of it. And I went to London and I just immediately felt centered. And I just started to study and met so many great people and started to take courses about the Middle East. And I met people, cosmopolitan people from around the world, including that region. And it was, like I said um, in the beginning, this was what started to nurture the seed that was already planted. And it really helped develop my interest um, in the, the region and the people from that region. And I'm so you know, grateful to everyone that's, that's sort of nurtured my interests. In this. Yeah, because that is exactly what set you up for the career you're having now, right? That, uh, yeah, which is amazing. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I went for four months and I stayed 25 years. Ah. <laughs> so, right, right. Which is, which is great. And that's where I met my husband and my children were born. So I think that moment that my parents said, just leave the country <laughs> and, uh, and fly. And I'm so grateful to them. I love that. Catherine, what's the legacy you wish to leave behind other than money? Oh, gosh, that's, that's a good question. I guess it, I don't really know what legacy... 
means. Yeah, I mean, this mosque in the middle of the cornfields uh, <laughs> would be quite a legacy, <laughs> I can imagine, right? Oh, I would never take responsibility for that. I, that's, that's, but I would say, okay, I would say what I leave, my legacy would be would be making connections between people and, and institutions. I'm really proud of this program that I've been developing between Columbia University and the Aga Khan University. I can see you know, there are two excellent top of the range universities. One is well known, which is Columbia, of course, and the other one is less known, but just such an extraordinary institution. And my, my dream when I taught at the Aga Khan University in London, and then I started to teach at Columbia, and I could see how wonderful it would be to have the students together in the same classroom. And to have, um, and I found out that faculty were already working together. Faculty for Columbia and faculty at, at Aga Khan University were already working together. So I thought, this is great. The faculty are already leading this, and now we need to get the students together. And so I developed a dual degree program where students from around the world can start at Columbia, and then they finish the second part of the program in London at the Aga Khan University. And I'm hoping that the students will then be able to be placed in wonderful local bases that the Aga Khan Developmental Network have around the world and be able to work and do their, their um, ethnographic research locally. So to me, it's just bringing the world together in an interesting way. This project for me is very important. Well, that is a very unique masterpiece you have created there and bringing together these two institutions Congratulations, yes. Catherine. Oh, oh, thank you. What I hope is that this program continues and it's complicated. It's really hard to bring two institutions together in, in this way. And I just really hope that it, it grows. And my wish is for this program to start to flourish. And my dream is for me to stand aside and be able to look at it being run by other people and having other people nourish it and for it to grow. And I think there's enormous potential for universities such as Columbia, which is based in the United States. It's an Ivy League. It's a, it has great gravitas to be linked to the Aga Khan University, which is, has excellent quality that people don't really know about, and to have it grow and to connect the world in a new way. This is such a powerful project to do and I have no doubt Catherine that this seed you have planted there <laughs> will grow into an, a fantastic and a very important and relevant institution and with your fantastic energy behind it that is so contagious <laughs> um, and full of Thank curiosity, yeah. I'm sure you will spread the seed all over the world. So thank you so much for sharing all that. Is there anything you want to add? Oh, I'm, I'm usually the one who asks the questions in my research. So this is so strange <laughs> to be on this side. So I wish I could talk to you and I want to hear more about you, Christiane, because I, <laughs> your energy is contagious. And I just feel so honored that I've met you. But yes, I just, only thing I could say that I just think it's so important now more than ever, especially after living throughout this, this period of the, the maelstrom of 2020, and we're still living amid a pandemic. There are so many problems in this world on so many levels. I really feel strongly that it's now is the time that we must all 
really work hard to try to communicate with people who are different from different worlds and from different, I think we silo each other too much and we have to break down the boundaries and find ways to talk to people who have different ideas than we have. Because usually with conversation, something happens that's very magical, that we find that there's so many different ways that we're connected to people. I think getting women together, getting people from very different socioeconomic backgrounds together, races, ethnicities, it is really key to get to know from different people's perspectives. And it's only then that we understand different people's positions that we're able to find solutions to so many gaps that are so alarming in our world today. I would love to be your student, Catherine. I could listen to you for so much longer. And it is so important, so relevant. So thank you so much for sharing these wisdoms today on Before It's Too Late. And thank you for having been my guest today. Thank you so much, Christiane. It's, it's really an honor to be here with you. Thank you. I really enjoyed this profound conversation and I hope you did too. For more episodes of Before It's Too Late, make sure to subscribe. If this episode spoke to you, consider sharing it with a friend or loved one you think might benefit from it. Thank you for listening.